Hi, it's Demetrius. Hey, Demetrius, it's Mark. They're in. Nice. Taking it to the next level. Launching phase two of Gable Media on October 7th. 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 Hi there, I'm Evan Troxell. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Evan Troxell, and this episode was truly, truly a pleasure to record. I had a conversation with Dane Stokes, and if you don't know who Dane is, you're going to learn a lot about a fascinating individual. Here are just some of the things that we talked about during the recording of this episode. Things like what he's doing to stay sane during the pandemic, which you will find pretty interesting. How he spontaneously started oil painting at one point in his life. How he learned to put rivets in carbon fiber. The topic of one-button buildings having kids and failure, and about his very practical decision to transition into architecture from mechanical engineering and custom automotive design and fabrication. So that gives you kind of an idea of who Dane is and what he's all about. Dane is currently a design technology specialist at ZGF Architects in the greater Seattle area. And be sure to check the show notes for a bunch of links, one of which is to his Porsche 914 build thread, which is called Project Anklebiter, which I am right in the middle of reading, and it is awesome. Uh, you can learn more about that during the show as well. So obviously, Dane is a fascinating individual and truly a Renaissance man. So it is my pleasure to bring you this conversation with Dane Stokes. How have you been? I've been good. Yeah, been a. Uh... It's been busy. I mean, the the last, uh, you know, since March, I've been in the office once since March. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our firm basically said, like, you know, at least our U.S. offices, like, aren't even going to try to put together a plan until after the end of the year, which, you know, of course, like, makes yeah. sense. Like, what right. are you going to do? So, but we're also, I don't know, I think we were pretty well set up for it. You know, we'd already like all the technology staff were familiar with working from mm -hmm. home and, and we had everything set up and we kind of accidentally, well, not accidentally, but we, you know, we transitioned pretty That's well. Um, we were accidentally very prepared. <laughs> you didn't do it on purpose, <laughs> well, you, but man, you were ready for it. That's yeah, good. We were ready. We were ready That's so it. cool. <laughs> yeah, man, we, Are you guys we're, uh, I, yeah, I, I would say it's funny. You said that we were, they kind of said we're not going to make up a plan until after you know 2020 is over. I think that's a smart move. I think uh, what I've seen happen is they've they've pre-announced a couple of potential back to the office dates, only to have to cancel them. Right, so it it yeah. didn't make any sense to <laughs> to make it because they're yeah. trying to give people some hope of getting back to normal. But let's be honest, if kids are not in school, there's no back to work. It's oh, not going to yeah, happen. Of course, yeah. I mean, there are some countries that are just like giving up on school for a yeah. year and like you know why why string people along well so you said <laughs> your your kids in kindergarten my my oldest yeah. just his last year of high school was last year and so he yeah. missed half of a year oh, of his senior year oh yeah and now i've got 
um, I've got a junior and I've got a sophomore and I've got a freshman and you got like a dorm room in your house. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were all going to (laughs) leave. Yeah. That's, that's a scary proposition. Thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my wife and I were joking like, Oh, this was the year that you were going to get to like, she's a stay at home mom. It's like, this was your year that you were going to get to like stay at home and, eat bonbons and like you've earned it you know and now it's like oh no now you're going to kindergarten and you get to be a teacher and (laughs) yeah yeah, brutal so have you guys joined the craze of now that you're home and you see everything that's wrong with your home you have to fix everything (laughs) i am literally building a uh, an adu on our property right now i'm building an entire contractor style that's awesome man but yeah, I mean, when else are you going to get this kind of opportunity? Like just my commute time alone yeah. is, you know, what, 10 hours a yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's, there's so Found much. Time. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm working less and getting more done mm-hmm. somehow, you know, like I have more time for my family and I'm being more productive at work and my own ambitions cut a lot of slop out of the system. I yeah. think the only big downfall is, you know, like those spontaneous work interactions that create the opportunity to build something or, you know, learn that someone is doing something in a way that can be improved or, you know, we're, we're kind of talking in the technology department about, you know, like academic office hours or some kind of thing that, you know, once things go back, kind of go to normal, it doesn't make sense for me to be, I I was already working from home 20% of the time, but it doesn't make sense for me to like be in there all the time. But, having scheduled things and then also an opportunity to walk through the office and be like, how did you make that? How late were you here last night? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Just the opportunity to overhear a conversation and, and like let it allow your gears to, to spin for a little bit, or, you know, maybe you've already got an idea that could make a difference right then. And that just does, isn't happening as much as it, as it used to. I also miss like just the, the coffee bar interaction with, the senior PA who I've known for 15 years and we talk about cars or, you know, what car show he Mm -hmm. went to or what problem he's solving on a project that he has seen a hundred times. It's that still has not been kind of implemented firm wide as a standard or some unique new challenge that, that his experience is affording him a, a way to solve that problem. Like nobody else can. I mean, those are the things like I love being in an office for because you don't Mm -hmm. like you said you're you're not just leaving a team's channel open all day long where anybody can drop in and just overhear what you're what you're doing or see what Mm -hmm. you're doing like you could in an office building Mm -hmm. and i worry mostly about the emerging professional you know the youngsters as it were who get to just kind of learn through osmosis in so many ways like that yeah i was i was was gonna say like i made a point of traveling to all of our different offices Mm -hmm. At least a couple times a year, I'd be in each one of our offices. Um, And it's a great way to drum up work. And it's a great way to have FaceTime with people and have them realize, you know, what what they might be doing inefficiently or like things they weren't exposed to. Or, you know, I'd give a talk and then the next couple months, you'd get this huge influx of work. And I had enough, you know, I've been doing this for five years. So I had enough um, momentum, you know, at least so far that people know who I am, but yeah, if you're just starting out, um, it's a lot harder to kind of build up that awareness, um, virtually Mm -hmm. that it is to just go do a lunch and learn in 
DC and, you know, an hour's worth of work will get you months worth of, worth of, uh, you know, projects. Right. So, um, that's a hard, we've been doing, um, our technology group has been doing, uh, like weekly talks on Fridays at lunch, mm-hmm. you know, where we, we all, and we get a decent amount of people, but you can't depend on other people's proactive behavior to get work. You have to go to them a lot of times. So you so. guys are kind of seeding the, seeding the culture with this kind of continued communication of types of things that types of problems you're solving, types of tools you're building just to, yeah. in hopes to get some kind of like, a, oh, I could, I could use something like that, right? Or I could use mm-hmm. this that's different than that, but maybe related. I yep. could see that. And then on our data team, we, you know, we have a academic office hours kind of, you know, the, where once every other week, it's like an hour where bring every, anything you want, you know, let's talk about data within the context of our firm. And that brings in a very, you know, you're surprised by the people that show up. Um, and it's awesome because you, you, uh, you get contact, you know, you just need a bunch of different avenues, I think, to try to pick, get as many people as you can. Cause you know, we've had people that weren't proactive about contacting people and then the institutional knowledge of their existence just kind of disappears. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Yeah. You, you, you can't just rely on being assigned things cause you're making it up as you go, at least as far as my, yeah <laughs> my trajectory. Right. right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> It only doesn't exist. <laughs> okay, how do you sell this? <laughs> right. Yeah, so it, it it's like partially just having those opportunities for those collisions to happen, but then also being consistent about it is that takes a, a level of discipline that a lot of people don't have. You see that a lot with, you know, the whether it's YouTube or or whatever kind of medium you're pushing uh or, you know, I I run the uh dynamo meetup group Mm -hmm. you know which now we're kind of transitioning to the computational design or computational whatever hacking is cool group um (laughs) but uh we've had ebbs and flows of activity as as is natural but when you can really string together a solid year of meetings um attendance just skyrockets because it's a predictable thing that people look forward to and i think that's the same for any kind of anything you're trying to push that predictability of media um, or contact uh, people know when you're coming and, and what to expect. That's where you really get, get traction, yeah. which is hard, you know, darn near impossible now other than digital formats. So are you guys doing, you said you had office hours, you've got this, this computational group that meets, is it, is it just like people are showing up with a presentation or are you just showing up with, Hey, I need help with this or here's an idea. Let's tr- let's brainstorm it. I, is it just all of the above? Is it just, it's kind of the, the office hours are like, uh, you know, whatever you want, mm-hmm. um, just a conversation and the people that are able to make things happen are there. Um, and anybody can show up and just be like, our project is struggling with whatever, or we have an idea for this, or it's just a very loose kind of thing where, the uh, design technology kind of lunch and learns are more of a, we feature a different, you know, last year or last week we had shared details. Mm-hmm. The week before I did, um, I did an intro to Rhino and then um, my colleague Andy did a, a, so you know Rhino, but do you know, th- know this, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the little more advanced. So within an hour we covered the ends of Rhino. Mm-hmm. So everybody learned something and i mean i learned something from him when we were going over it yeah. so you know you 
Um, and then there's always, you know, you sprinkle in Revit and Bluebeam and all the other things. Yeah. So there's kind of two avenues. One is, um, you know, prescriptive and one is spontaneous. Yeah. I thought it would be be fun to kind of talk about because you, now now you've talked about uh, you're building an ADU. Uh, you, <laughs> you, yeah. uh, I remember I, I attended your your desk university. Yeah, I saw you on there. I uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was good to see you. <laughs> Even a familiar name. Yeah. So so then you know I got to see and and it was like somebody was like that is the coolest background on oh, Zoom yeah, I, I've yeah. ever seen. Right. So it's your, your garage, <laughs> which you you have set up with your. You're 914 yeah. in the background, and you've got some string lights and a snowboard, and I, from what I recall. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, and that to me just speaks to what I know about you as far as like, like that was the, the it really was the quintessential Dane Stokes backdrop. Okay. <laughs> right. and, and, and now we're talking about these computational design uh, and co- computational group uh, office hours, meetups, lunch and learns. Okay. So, there's a few things there and I think they're all threaded together by where'd you come from? Right. So you, <laughs> you, yeah. uh, I, I think it'd be cool to kind of just go back and we talked about, you know, as, as far as topically over email, what, what we could maybe talk about today. And it was, it really kind of evolved from you just being a maker. So where did that all begin? I mean, and, and then how does that evolve over time to turn into what, where, what you're doing with that now? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird story. Um, whenever I like, I've done a, a couple talks for, you know, our interns or something. It's like how to get here, and I always preface it by being like, if you want to do what I do, you probably shouldn't follow that, my your squiggly path uh, exactly, because yeah. I kind of wander yeah. through life in weird ways. But I actually started out as a, um, well, I went to I, I, I have always been a maker and a builder and a creator since the beginning of time. My, my dad, um, was a, uh, he taught people how to build, um, military aircraft for Boeing. So he like, he was an instructor where he'd be like, okay, I need to teach people how to put rivets in carbon fiber today. I need to teach people how to use like, you know, liquid nitrogen to, to work with whatever. So he always, you know, uh, my whole life I've been surrounded and my mom is just a, you know, a totally creative um, person that just both of my parents kind of let me do whatever I wanted. And it was always geared towards building and creating and gardening and carpentry. So I, I was not a great high school student at all, like not really interested in kind of the structured existence of school mm-hmm. really at all. I didn't learn math till I was in my twenties. Um, like really, but um, I so I went to a, a an automotive uh, technical school called Wyotech when I got out of high school, um, and got a a couple associates degree in um, automotive fabrication, chassis design, bodywork, painting, upholstery. Um, basically, you know, a, a degree in in automotive restoration, um, and then ended up at a a race shop in Las Vegas that did uh, engine conversions on Porsches which is why I have a, an STI engine in my 914. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of a, a we designed, a, we, we sold kits to convert, do engine conversions. We also did cars in-house. So mine was kind of the test bed. We designed, you know, the, the kit to put a Subaru engine in a 914. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I did that for about two years. I raced competitively. I was, I was the head of research and development for that for that team. But by the time I was 22, I had back problems, and I could see that there, you know, you don't see a lot of really old mechanics. And yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not. I was like, I can't retire. I can't retire in this. I can't keep crashing cars and you know, racing and and lifting transmissions. So. I thought, you know, mechanical engineering seemed like a, a reasonable collegiate, you know, avenue. So I went into mechanical engineering. Um, I, in order to test, in order to start uh, engineering, you have to test into Calc 1. Mm-hmm. And due to my uh, my high school and, and academic career or lack of interest in math, I didn't qualify for anything. I literally tested from number skills all the way through to get into Calc 1 in one sitting to get into college mm-hmm. and I, I just got all the for dummies books <laughs> from like number skills to to geometry and algebra and and you know so going into calc one with no understanding of anything and pretty quickly i realized that engineering was too focused and i i spontaneously started oil painting because half of my brain was being starved and then it was like okay what's like easy engineering with more art in it and it was like oh architecture is cool i've never been interested specifically in buildings or the you know the AEC environment I've just been interested in making things mm-hmm. so I went to University of Boulder um, got an undergrad degree there that's where I really got interested in kind of grasshopper and it wasn't because of grasshopper it was because I was building complex you know kind of feature walls and stuff and doing it manually didn't make sense it was too hard it took too long so you know I I was never really much of a computer person but computer enabled me to build real things better and faster and more complicated. Um, so that was kind of how I got into that. And then um, I got a master's degree at Penn, which really upped the, I, I got in with like advanced placement. And I had basically a whole year of electives to take. So, and from any school I wanted. So I did robotics classes and bookmaking classes and, and uh, programming classes and, and just really kind of diversified my, my architectural education into something that was like very tech savvy, but still very grounded in fabrication and, and you know, the uh, affecting the real world with, with digital processes. So I interned at, at uh, my last year of school, I interned at, at ZGF in the model shop and they were, they were planning on kind of, you know, they moved their interns all around. So you get a flavor of whatever. And when it came time to leave the model shop, I basically didn't leave. Yeah. So I was just there for like four months and completely ignored, you know, the architecture department and everything else. Cause I was like, no, this is awesome. I've got laser cutters. I've got, you know, I'm good. Um, so when it came time to get a job, I went back to, to ZGF, started as an A1 in architecture and in less than a year I had, um, I had transferred over to technology and kind of made, they made me my own, um, you know, it was a, uh, I'm a technology manager now, but it was like a design technology specialist, I think was the the term we made Uh up. Does it, you know, digital fixer. Right, right. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I've kind of been here ever since. But, it, it, you know, it's always kind of stemming from that. You know, I, I'm not to disparage architecture, but it's never been a huge focus of mine. It's it's the um, architecture is the best way to make cool things 
and get and have a desk job and get paid to do cool <laughs> things. You know, it's like that perfect kind of Venn diagram of like it's real, but it's you know, you're not a scientist. Uh, I don't know. It's it's that perfect kind of. I never know what I'm going to do every day, and that's what I need. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great way to explain. Even if they're all fires. At least they're all different fires. I, and that that totally speaks back to your original comment about how you got to where you are, right? Because you, you never knew what was next, and you've kind of created and then jumped at these opportunities just mm-hmm. by being curious. I, you're so such a curious yeah. guy, and I, I know, like when we got together in New York and and had that kind of initial talk about just the stuff that we grew up doing, I felt such a huge like kinship there because the story is very similar, except your stuff is like next level. Like when you talk about riveting carbon fiber and using liquid nitrogen, because you've got like, you've got to create these conditions to do this thing like that your dad kind of dealt with. Mine was very, it was like nails and a hammer, right? So like I said, your stuff was probably next level and that's, that to me is evident in where you've taken it too, right? So when I see that backdrop on Zoom of your like fully custom fabricated 914, because you've done, it's like you couldn't just stop at an engine replacement, right? And and I'm yeah, you, you, you went you I have a trouble. you take it to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> I bite off more more than I can chew, and then I mean I'm totally ADD, but I I I. I usually finish most of my projects, even if I've, I mean, the Porsche, I've been working on that for. I was going to ask if you finish oh, your projects man. or not. Let's see. <laughs> I, I do. I, I do. I, it's just a matter of time. It's just how long it's going to, it's going to take. But the Porsche, I bought it when I was whew, 18 and I'm 36 now and it's driving, but it's full tube chassis. I cut the body off the car and then welded it all together and put it back on like i mean it's you know it's an escalating issue but now i've ruined the car so much that i can't i can't not finish it because then it would mean it would die right and no one will and no one will take it like no one no one could do what you wanted to do with it because there's so much like embedded knowledge and skill in that thing there's like you can't hand that kind of a project off (laughs) you didn't comment any of your code dane (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I actually have. I have commented pretty well because I, I've been following the uh, the whole build is documented on a um, it's called 914world.com. Uh, the car is called the Ankle Biter, but um, you can search <laughs> it and find it. But I have like a 75 page build thread where when I went off to grad school, I did forget a lot of the things I'd done. And I have to go back to the build thread to remember what I was building, you know, what my logic was to follow it up you know three or four years later um because you do forget (laughs) but yeah but but i will say like the the online like the i've got a group of friends that are following the build and they're the the main reason that i've kept going on it because i don't want to (laughs) like i don't want to not the motivation through you know i don't want to well they're the accountability they're not the (laughs) motive They're, yeah, they're the people that I know are going to give me crap if I don't, yeah. you know, if I don't finish it. So that's, that's good. It's good to have. I've got like friends that. like that at the office too, because like I've got, <laughs> I've re- got the 69 Dotson Roadster that is in the third yeah. paint shop. Uh, and <laughs> I thought it was done. And like- I, well, and I called the guy the other day and I'm like, Hey, I just wanted to get a status update. He's like, uh, can you call you back? I'm in the middle of an estimate. And he never called back. <laughs> so this is what happens when you drop your, 
beloved project yeah. off with some expectation around schedule and it's not their priority. I hate to disparage an entire population, but body shops are not necessarily the a place to get fast and reliable results, yeah. I have found. <laughs> yeah. I you kind of get it when you get it, right? And you don't yep. you don't complain yep. about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's a it's a hard enough thing that, you know, you can't do it yourself nope. mostly. Yeah. Yep. My neighbor did though. Like he's got he's got a booth in his garage. I should have just talked to him. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so like you, like my dad was an Air Force mechanic. Uh yep. my grandfather was a geologist. Uh and like out of that came this kind of similar mentality of like we're gonna do a project, right? And we do mm-hmm. projects and we don't always finish them. Um and, and I actually that's kind of an interesting uh, rabbit hole to go down, but I actually had to make a decision. I, I probably made this decision 10 years ago, maybe something like that. Like I am actually going to finish my projects that I start because up until mm-hmm. then I had a terrible track record of doing, of mm-hmm. actually finishing mm-hmm. them. So because I, I'm so interested in so many things that it's easy to get distracted. And I am, like I've said before, I'm trying to live five different lives at the same time because we only get one and I want to make the most of it. And so, uh, and I just can't be satisfied, right? So there's so many interesting things out there. Uh, You know, there's, right now it's like, well, I I guess leading up to this point, it was like, I I, I wanted to, I just had to finish my license. Like that was actually the first thing that I decided I was going to finish that I had started, you know, 17 years prior when I graduated from college. And Mm -hmm. it was like, I still didn't feel done. And I still had this guilt and this weight on me that I was like, I got to finish that thing so that I can move on. And Mm -hmm. through that process of number one, making that decision and number two, actually doing it, I built that discipline that I needed to actually finish projects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was that's quite cool. yeah, a process. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great way. I mean, if you can, if you can get your license, then, then I'm sure a lot of other things seemed a lot easier. And <laughs> I would certainly rather build an entire house than go through that process. Well, yeah. And especially uh, after waiting so long and having four yeah. teenagers at the same, you know, at home when you're doing it and all of the things that come along with, you know, having a job and having a podcast and having four kids and doing these things. And, and so, like I said, it actually built kind of that that disciplinary muscle that I needed to be able to accomplish other things. Yeah. I will say, like, a, a, a lot of projects that I don't finish are the ones that are, you know, my work because it's I, I'm sure you you've experienced this too. Like that, when you're interacting with teams, the goals change a lot, yeah. or mm-hmm. whether they need something or not changes a lot, or whether they have time for something or deadlines or whatever. So, I do have. I mean, there are you know, 50 unfinished projects, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to finish them, and that it doesn't mean that you don't come back to them. Because I think, as much as we say, like all of our buildings are unique, precious jewels that can never be repeated like the process is not that different and teams run into the same problems Mm -hmm. again and again and again so even if one team didn't you know backed out of a thing they wanted neurotic documentation and saving of no matter how far you've gotten in a process um it's still farther than nothing yeah um i mean i've gone back to i mean just the other week i went back to like 2016 and pulled out a script I had done and, and tweaked it to do something totally different. But 
you got to have things in in your in your toolkit. Um, even if the tool isn't done, you've at least done enough exploration to make informed decisions. Um, you've done it. You know, you've done enough um, building to know whether something's possible or not. And and I think that kind of there are places where it's okay to only do half of something mm-hmm. and then pick it up five years later it doesn't really matter i mean you might be like opening up a dynamo script and being like okay let's build this in rhino inside but you, the logic is already figured out and the you know the you've run into you you see where like oh revit won't let you do that and it doesn't matter what program you're using to hack it there's certainly i i, I have very neurotic documentation of my process and the deliverables um because you know you you got to keep marketing happy too right uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a <laughs> got to make the shiny. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you got to make the bells and whistles that people can show off for sure. Yep. But yeah, I think that's an interesting point about this kind of messy process that we find ourselves in. And to me, that doesn't really square with the idea of, and like I think it's it's come up before in in meetings that you and I have been in together, which is big data, AI. Right. And it's like, okay, show of hands, who's doing this? And no hands go up. Right. Because, and and it speaks to that process that you just explained. Right. Because, because there isn't consistency and there isn't completion, uh, because it isn't required all the time, um, a lot of that stuff is just waste of the process. Um, Much like a leftover sheet of plywood that's cut in some weird increment on a job site. Right. It's just that's what it yep. took to get to the end. It doesn't didn't really need to be useful beyond that point. And the industry, our industry, architecture has has a problem with that in the marketing side of things, which is we want to be saying that we're using big data. We want to be saying that we're using AI to help us make these decisions and augment our people with with good, clean. But again, like it's just kind of not how it works and so is it even worth pursuing because that's not how it works and that's not how it has worked ever before that's a lot of like institutional cultural behavior to try to change and man yeah. talk about like who that's not what we signed up to do right we signed up to be architects of buildings right <laughs> you know I, i've had this conversation with you know, I, I totally agree with what you said like I, I i've had this conversation with a couple of people and and I, I pose this hypothetical of, you know, if, say, today, we could push a button and a building would come out, I don't think we would be financially w- rewarded for that mm-hmm. because clients, like a lot of our clients, they reach out to us to build a building, but they also reach out to us to work through problems together, to flush out their ideas. A lot of times when you're you're in a meeting, like, you solve a lot of, or you learn a lot of things that you didn't even think you would learn about them that would change the deliverable. Um, and you know, if I, if I started a startup and said, okay, you know, one button buildings, I would have no credibility and no one would buy a building from me. So it's kind of this, like, even if we were able to accomplish it, which I doubt we are on a, on a, you know, I mean, you can you can build pulte homes all day, but you know, like a a custom academic, right. you know, like technology center is not. Um, there are so many moving parts that that even if you could somehow miraculously push a button and have it created, I don't think anyone would believe in its validity. At least in this, within the next, you know, whatever decade or you know, until 
until we we trust AI more, or um, we wouldn't have gone through any kind of like conversation or gained the trust of the client to the point that that we could you know push a button and make a thing. So I'm kind of like I've I've certainly explored AI and machine learning um, in certain avenues, but uh, as far as actually creating like you know, going the full automation route, I'm really skeptical just based on how we sell buildings and how we sell ourselves and how we solve problems. Uh, you know, it's, it's not really a car where, and even, you know, cars aren't either, but like self-driving relative to architecture seems like a really easy problem to solve. <laughs> uh, Interesting. Because God. you don't have that. It's like, don't hit things, yeah, right? right? stay in lines uh, you know i i and that's super hard to do right mm -hmm. so yeah it's kind of this i i think the biggest gains we've had which are still you know another unfinished project that every year we get build on and and work towards but um computer vision and computer recognition is 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 an area where i think um we could inform our process better because rather than putting a ton of hardware into a building to monitor person movement and then something else to like, you know, then a person to count chairs or whatever, and then someone to log like when they used whatever amenities, you know, you could have one GoPro a camera, yeah. That says, okay, there are four people in this room, there are five chairs, yeah. it's four fifths full. The TV is not black, so it's being, you know, used mostly just from the the reduction replacing hardware with software mm -hmm. i think is where you know we've seen like okay this is actually something that we can use right now but again then you've got camera in client spaces which is another whole mm -hmm. big brother state thing mm -hmm. so yeah it's a and and you know good luck telling someone oh no it's okay that you know the 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 video camera is just being processed by a computer it doesn't know you it's like well that's even weirder Let's pause for a moment right here and talk about our episode sponsor, LayerApp, the must-have app for Revit users. Are you tired of digging for project photos, files, and field data days, if not months, after it's captured? That's the power of Layer. Layer takes all your project-related data, photos, and files and makes them accessible with the click of a button right in Revit. Find out more and start your free 14-day trial at layer.team slash Troxel. That's L-A-Y-E-R dot team slash T-R-X-L. By the way, if you want to listen to episode 280 of my friend Mark LePage's Entree Architect podcast, you can hear Mark's interview with Zach Soflin, the architect turned software developer who created LayerApp. Get your free trial at layer.team slash trxl. And now let's get right back to our conversation with Dane Stokes. It's interesting to me to kind of go rewind here through that whole spiel that you just gave because there's so many interesting things that we could talk about there, and I, I we don't need to hit them all, but what there is some kind of romantic notion that you see in certain people talking about that idea of that push-button solution. Uh, and, and it, you're right. It totally does kind of leave the client out of the process, right? It's like, no, mm -hmm. it's, here is your site. 
you here was the program here's your building right this is exact mm-hmm. and and on many levels at what we do as architects is is not exclusive like that it's it's more it's way more inclusive like you said there's things that come up during that discovery process and through that design process that you would have never imagined would come up and they influenced mm-hmm. the decisions that we made as we went from problem statement to solution and that mm-hmm. is a a wild ride it's not a straight line right uh it's all over the place and there's lots of starts and stops and there's lots of redos and I thought you meant this. Nope, we actually meant this. And actually somebody else just got hired and they think something different and now we're going to change it. Yep. That happens all the time. Uh, and yep. so I don't I I'm not kind of overtaken by that romanticism put upon at this idea of a push button building. I don't think that I don't think that onebuttonbuildings.com is, is I mean you could check the domain right now. Maybe you've got you're onto something. <laughs> but that but that to me is not that's not what I want to do. And I think it's yeah. interesting when we're put in a position as technologists and architecture firms to maybe attempt to try to, you know, attempt to do that. It just mm-hmm. is like, well, that's not on my list of things to do right now. Um, and I don't know that architecture wants that either. That, But yeah. I will also say that uh, there's two arguments, I think, that kind of work on the opposite side of this. And this is kind of where I straddle the line and say, okay, number one, clients like to buy things, not processes, right? So they want a building. If you want one button building, that's that's what you pay for and you get it. And you don't necessarily want to spend the next three years going through that process because it's scary. It's costly. There's problems. There's ups and downs. It's emotional. There's all these things kind of attached to that process that people don't necessarily want either. No, I think that's I think that's valid. And I think that, you know, there are certainly plenty of architecture firms that that probably do have a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm speaking specifically for like the kind of clientele that, you know, ZGF is going after. Right. Um, one of my colleagues used to work for, I don't know if it was Pulte or whatever created home, but like he, he wrote a piece of software probably 30 years ago that just told you all the different houses you, you could make with a pile of shapes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like the foam that they cut out and then stucco on yep. top of. Um, and that was, you know, it, I think it, it, it just depends on what your deliverable is and the complexity of your deliverable and what your, your client expects, which there could be a huge shift in architecture where it's like, we don't care if it's not as good as it can be. Uh, we want something efficient yeah. and yeah. we just want it cheap and done which you know i mean you can buy a pole building that it probably wasn't created by ai but it's not it has like two parameters going into it so it's not uh it's not as complex of a of an issue but i mean i can tell you like as far as trying to just just from the perspective of dynamo and rhino inside and basic c-sharp automation uh within the revit environment even the variables there um it's really hard to reuse tools, yeah. even from project to project. Right. The the variables are just so, and I think a lot of that is just a lack of standardization and a lack of understanding of what needs to be standardized. Mm-hmm. But it's also just kind of the the nature of the craft, I I think, which I don't know what, you know, in a hundred years, what what will no longer be sacred or what expectations will be. But, you know, I can tell you right now, it's it's automation and architecture there are a couple things that that you really do see 
all the time. Um, you know, renaming room elevations and these kind of, I mean, they're more a default in Revit's programming than anything else, mm -hmm. but like these are things you have to patch. But yeah, the conscious generation of, of architecture is, um, actually I, I gave a, it was, it's one of the favorite talks I've given, um, to the AIA, uh, it was like the tap technology and practice, uh, this last year, they have a, their conference in DC and, um, they put it together where there was a, someone had to speak for a topic and someone had to speak against mm -hmm. it. And I got to speak against um, automation and computational design, which was like such a treat because we have to be such cheerleaders all the time. And, and to finally talk about, you know, like the real struggles there are, yeah. but there are a couple points I made in, in that talk that one of them was, um, oh, it was about generative design uh, where that's kind of the middle ground, like, okay, it's not AI, but it's, you know, it's like taking parameters and changing them. And then you can see like what's been done, but all, all of the times that I've done automatic optioneering for teams, they have been completely uninterested mm -hmm. in it. And I was kind of wondering why, you know, is it me? Am I making bad <laughs> options? Like, is it, you know, is it, there's, there are too many options, but it was that the, you know, we we go through the scheme and option process not to make options, but to understand the problem better. To learn, yeah. I think. To learn. And you if you make 10 bad things, then you understand what good yes, is better. Exactly. And you have the justification for it. <laughs> exactly. And, and the automation of that process kind of irks me. And I think there's a correlation between that and any other thing you're doing unconsciously automatically um in a in a design where maybe you don't understand it as well mm -hmm. and and you know along those lines too i i um you know when you're automating a, a process that anyone that's capable of automating a process probably isn't dedicated enough to architecture to understand what they're doing um you know want to understand what the problem mm -hmm. is that they're solving they have the the ability to automate like i don't know what i'm creating necessarily in an architectural context i can create it but i don't know if it's right or not i need to rely on real architects with years of experience to tell me like yes that's how you know a, a room data sheet goes together, well and how did they or how did they get that information right how did they get that knowledge i should say and it, it yeah. was through making all of those mistakes over all those years yeah. and and to me like that's what i'm thinking when you're talking about this is Number one, you're learning through that process, but it doesn't just apply to this project. It applies mm -hmm. to all projects yeah. from now on. And by yeah. going through that process and by learning those things of what does and doesn't work, like I said, it doesn't just apply to this project. So on another one that has a similar problem during one small piece of that process, you can be like, oh, I've already tried that and it, and it didn't work and here's why. Let's move on to the next interesting problem. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly created tools that, you know, like, say a beginning architect who is more conscious of the technology available that to them says like this task is so boring i don't want to do it which is awesome like i tell people like if you're bored at your job then chances are we can probably automate what you're doing because you should be doing like fun engaging you know like let's let's um you know you play with massing studies while i figure out detail tags right. you know? <laughs> but both of us combined 
might not necessarily understand what we're actually trying to solve mm-hmm. because, you know, I can solve it and they can do it, but there might be, you know, more advanced things in play that we don't understand. So, um, I had a conversation with a software developer that, um, you know, they're like in that talk, I'd said, you know, like you might get an inferior product by, by automating something. And he was like, why would it be inferior? It's like, because no one that actually knows what process is being automated is taking part in this process. Like someone new might ask for a thing and I might build a thing, but neither of us have done it for real or understand why we're doing it. So that knowledge feedback, like how do you integrate, um, how do you codify that, you know, 50 year knowledge into a tool um, rather than just blindly solving a problem maybe you don't understand. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There, I it's, think that um, there is kind of a tug of war also going on where it's, and, and maybe this is just my perception, so I want to bounce it off you and see. There's there's mm-hmm. kind of this idea that all code that gets written on a project will be reusable. And and mm-hmm. what you're saying, and I what that's what I think too, is like there's a lot of unique stuff, a lot. And there's there's actually a lot less reusable stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, there are a lot of things in theory that fall apart in practice when you say like when one parameter is different or, you know, one dependency is different or you're, oh, this is a this is a BIM 360 project, you know, whatever. Like um, it is it is a, it's a hard environment, I think, to, you know, I, I, I know nothing about like you know, structural analysis, but I'd imagine like a beam is a beam and there's maybe a little more, you know, you're not going to be like, well, let's put in glass here. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like it, there, it's just such a weird diverse environment that we work in that it, it does not lend itself well to data collection, automation, you know, these, these, these um, repeated tools, which is unfortunate because that's basically what I've based my career on. But um, there is, you know, clearly enough, value to to keep me busy all the time but it it i'm not going to say it's not a struggle for and i know you've you've experienced the same thing where you really do want to reuse everything because a lot of times it does take longer to build a computational tool than to do something by hand so it really doesn't make sense to do it unless you're going to reuse it a lot because it does take time to develop that that code that that script it'll take at least two or three times as long as actually doing doing it by hand once yeah. yeah. So if you're only going to do it once, then don't call me, yeah. you know. But like you said, um, you went back to 2016 and dug up an old script that had the logic already figured yeah. out and nobody in 2016 necessarily thought that in 2020 that was going to pay off again. And that's the kind of yeah, stuff that's, that's interesting true. to me as well because it's a variable in this equation that is rarely I don't know. It's it's you can't quantify that. Right? Because you yeah. never know what's going to happen and you never even can count on your memory remembering that 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 thing even existed. Yeah. And that's a weird thing too, I think, as far as, um, as far as like the, the, the vulnerability of having only one person that knows a thing. Um, we had a guy that did all of our post-occupancy evaluations that, that quit. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, like the entire process of survey monkey to, you know, uh, what was he using? Like, there were like 14 different, you know, softwares that came together to create this report and, and, um, and he quit and then it's like, okay, it's all gone. Like if I quit, no one would know where to find the marketing materials they rely on the, you know, the, 
even like the dependencies like you know like all of this infrastructure of of um of knowledge um it's been codified but no one knows how to uncode it yeah, yeah it, it's a it's a weird it's a weird place to be for for um for staffing and just uh institutional knowledge like uh we all have codified knowledge whether it's digital or in our brain but staffing changes you know how does that do you keep the knowledge when someone leaves or is it just in a different bucket that you still have it but you don't know how to unlock it or um the the relying on a single person for an entire process is is an interesting um, yeah. conundrum so so this is something that i think you guys i'm not going to give you a uh, 100% score on this on this quiz right now but you guys inspired me and you you've created i don't know how much you want to talk about this kind of web project that you guys have but but you've you did create some semblance of a way to document at least with rhino scripts you know grasshopper scripts uh, so that somebody else opens it up and kind of can figure out what the hell's going on in there and to me that was you know, not coming from a programming or a coding or even a no-code background, just from like a direct modeling background. That was never a thing, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're when you're just modeling and you're putting together pieces, there there's no codification of that. It's more of an architectural training, which is composition and light and shadow and space and, yeah. and all those things, which on some level is Obviously, it's experience and it's all these things, but it's not like a repeatable process like code is. So yeah. you guys yeah. actually put together kind of a resource. And what I guess my question is, is when you talk about this idea of somebody who has this kind of this knowledge base and they win the lottery and they, they walk away, um, mm-hmm. do you guys take a proactive stance in training people so that there's not just one person or is that just something you're trying to figure out as you go along? Because I know you guys have done other stuff where you do start to put together these standards of yeah. coding so that somebody else who comes along can hopefully figure out how to decode it. Yeah. I mean, I think anyone that's using, um, any kind of code, you know, should annotate assuming that someone, uh, is going to go into it totally blind and and have to figure out. And we are reasonably good about that. Um, I think I think where it where it falls apart is actually the 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 skill sets of of staff and how many people. You could explain the thing entirely, but probably ninety five percent of architecture staff wouldn't even be able to open the program. Not any fault of theirs. It's just like. Not, they don't do it every day. Not their expertise. Yeah. It's not. They don't do it at all, yeah. um, and that's fine. But you know, it it if someone can use Grasshopper, say, um, annotation would certainly help. Building it in a way, you know, grouping things and pairing, you know, logic uh, clumps together uh, is certainly helpful. But you know, I I I don't know where the stat came from. It's probably not real, but it feels right. Like you know. If you have 10% of your staff that can open Grasshopper without running away, you're doing better than most of <laughs> Yeah, that, that does feel um, right. <laughs> so, you know, there were a decent amount of people using, you know, some people using Grasshopper um, at ZGF, but I was like the only technology staff person that that was really um, like a, a firm resource. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of pressure. Like, you know, I get hit by a bus, we lose a lot of tools that's why i said win the lottery thing not yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> let me be pessimistic mm. here. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, now we now that computational design has has become a little more mainstream, we have we have a handful of people that anything I've built, they can usually open up and they might need to call me and be like, what did you do here? But generally you can take it apart and understand how it works. But even still, you know, if I'm running into, you know, problems like, you know, I'll, I'll pick on Dynamo because I, I have, we love to pick on Dynamo. Cause we love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but if I can't get a tool to work that I've built because of some arbitrary, you know, piece of code, or, or some, you know, oh, the link didn't load right or whatever, then how is someone else going to just seamlessly jump in and, and start yeah. just clicking the button? I, I really do think, you, like, you get into this thing where it's like, if you're going to solve a problem that other staff are going to use that tool, it really does have to be like a one-button solution. Totally. Um, I, I totally agree with that, because have, if it isn't... It can't, even, it can't even require dependencies. Yeah. And that, but you that's know? what's in their pocket every day, right? It's like this thing that just works and you just have to push yeah. this one button and it does the thing that I want it to do. And to me, like this kind of gets back to that Autodesk open letter that was published, which was basically a bunch of architects saying, damn it, this thing's way too difficult to use. And we're not, it's yeah. not even doing the things that we've been asking for it to do for this many years. I mean, it really, to me, comes down to how complicated it is to use the software and i think what yeah. you're talking about speaks directly to that it is for nerds period that's mm -hmm. what it's for mm -hmm. and that's what it takes to successfully have a, have a, a decent outcome out of the using the software because the software is absolutely incredible right it can do yeah. things that most people can't make it do it's and it's absolutely incredible under the hood and these other tools that have been kind of strapped onto it, like Dynamo and Rhino Inside and Grasshopper and all these things, can make it do even more stuff by even fewer number of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think um, yeah the 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 Autodesk thing is interesting. Um, I I in grad school I had a teacher that after our three quarter term, she made us delete our models and said, okay, now rebuild it for the final. And it was the meanest, most heinous thing that had ever happened to me. <laughs> but every single person's project got better because they weren't haunted by yes. all of these decisions that were driving things that were no longer important. And I think that when you, you know, like Revit is a 20-year-old piece of software. Yeah. And it wasn't even, you know, Autodesk bought it. And then they poked at it. And then they did all their things. And then they put lots know, of Band-Aids on things. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's just all Band-Aids. And they needed to, like, 10 years ago, they should have deleted the file and rewrote it. Because, you know, as someone that works in the Auto in the Revit API, you're like, there are a lot of ghosts in here. You know, there are a lot of, like, weird... Um, it's not like AutoCAD that basically was just a screen for a UI or for a, for a, an API. You know, it... it, it, it uh, you're like getting a, it's like playing telephone kind of, right. you know, where the buttons aren't the same as the code and it, and, and it's, they really should have done a hard rewrite, which I think is one of the things that is creating this kind of strife because it's, the user does have to go through a lot of hoops mm -hmm. uh, to generate something that should be intuitive because like, oh, curtain walls, that's a totally different computer program. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, like. Uh, building pads, like, oh, no, that's a totally different, you know, mm. that works differently. 
um, it's just not not conducive to a, a user using it intuitively. I I think. Um, well, and there's just like a different paradigm now than there was twenty something years ago about making buildings. And right, Revit was designed for documenting buildings, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. you know there was no such concept realistically or or in a big way around what what people coin as model based delivery. So now we have people kind of fighting the convention of delivering drawings at all because there's so much information potentially embedded in the model that what are the yeah. drawings for anymore? Right. Um and then there's there's all kinds of other things fighting that like contracts and agencies and and insurance oh, and yeah. standard yeah. of care and licensure and there's so many things pulling in mm-hmm. completely different directions. Uh, it's it's interesting because I think about, you know, a program that old ver- that that just has been band-aided and band-aided forever versus a program like the the only example I can that comes to mind right now is Apple's Keynote software, which was they mm-hmm. wrote basically because they hated PowerPoint, right? They wasn't doing what they wanted <laughs> yeah. and they're like we can do yeah. something better and they did. They made something absolutely incredible. And it was fun to use. It's probably one of my favorite applications to use ever. Um, and they and one day they just said, you know what? We've been kind of secretly working on this other version of Keynote that's the future Keynote. And it does 50% less stuff than the one you're used to. But it's the only one we make now. So mm. so tough luck. Here you go. Like the, It's going to be awesome someday. It'll get back to, it'll get back <laughs> right. to those features someday. But they basically hit the reset button, like you said. They basically said, we're going to stop doing the Band-Aids, and we're going to start over. Because, you know, what happened in the meantime was the web freaking took off. And they said, mm-hmm. what if you could not only use this on your Mac, but you could also use it on your iPhone, and you could use it on your iPad, and you can use it in the browser, and it's the same experience for everybody? Well, guess what? All this custom Band-Aid stuff that we did in the old version won't work in those newer platforms. So they did it. They did that hard decision and said, we're going to hit the nuclear reset button and start over. And it's going to be a painful few years, but when it, when we get through it, it's going to be amazing. And that's what they did. And, and Autodesk, you know, has been showing some signs of maybe doing something with a new platform, quantum plasma, whatever you want to call it. Um, And, and it's like, okay, so, so, for realsies, like what's really going on there? That that sounds intriguing. It sounds like you guys, at least they recognize that they need to do it now. How to get there is a a wicked problem to solve, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But yeah. but man, in the meantime, things are getting nerdier and nerdier when everybody else is getting more and more used to very simple, elegant, do what I think mm-hmm. it's going to do kind of interfaces. Yeah, we had a funny like the design technology department has a weekly chat and. And someone was, you know, we, we basically only talk about Revit problems and I, you know, I, I use Revit, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm the, I'm the Rhino guy. I'm the, you know, computational Rhino guy. And someone was like, Dane, why, you know, why aren't you talking about, you know, like all your problems? And it's like, what am I supposed to say? Like Rhino didn't make the shape I want. Like there's not, there's nothing to say because we barely need any training for it. We, it does what it needs to and it's got a command line that it's like how do i make a line like well type in line you know it's not hidden really i don't have the problems that 
that and granted revit is doing a lot more like we've tried to find other options for revit for the scale of our projects and it doesn't exist right. like it it i'm giving it a hard time but i will acknowledge like it's the only program that can do you know we're probably not going to do documentation on a million square foot building in rhino but the simplicity and the bones of it are so much more intuitive that we don't need the support staff to support it the same way that we do for for revit um and I think, you know, like a command line would probably solve a lot of that anyway. Just <laughs> does your program know English or not? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And autocomplete works. It gives you suggested yeah. options. It has and tips. Yeah. On, like, yeah. Yeah. And, the, and that helps a lot. But it does. Luckily, we've we've been able to develop, you know, McNeil is in Seattle. So we've we've been able to develop a pretty good um, relationship with them. And, and it's been really interesting kind of working with that flavor of developer and, and, you know, pairing that against like our relationships with Autodesk. And I think they both are, are helping us greatly as far as creating software, but they are going about it yeah. in a very different way. Totally different approaches. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, I mean, I, I feel like there's so many other things we could talk about. Maybe we can, we can chat again sometime, but I, I always, and I didn't warn you about this up front, so feel free to uh, just say no. Uh, but I, I, tend to try to link these shows together with the different guests that I have on by asking two questions. And then the final one's not really a question, but so there's three things coming your way here. So the first one is okay. share, share a personal hack, something that you do to help yourself perform better. It does not have to be digital. I mean, I know that a lot of the stuff we talked about is, but you've got all these other interests. Um, like what do you do? to motivate yourself or to keep you to get yourself more productive or I mean it could be anything like that um I think attitude you know honestly like it's not a it's not a a quick fix hack but right I, I kind of got into a situation where like you know COVID is you know creating a situation where um you know I need to create an ADU on my property for um for my mom and I'm like super stoked about um it solves a lot of problems for all of mm -hmm. us, but I could be really um, frustrated about having to take on this extra burden and all the work. But at the beginning of this project, I was like, I am going to embrace this project with like love and um, hard work and positivity. And I'm not going to get down about this. Like we're going to, this is going to be awesome. And it's the first project that I like, I really, um, I focused on my mental state as much as my planning and physical, you know, requirements. And it's really, it's really helped a lot, I think. And, and I've transferred that to other, other things that are frustrating and just trying to be mindful and conscious and just come from, you know, whether it's work or whatever, just come from a place of positivity and love. Um, especially in this hellhole of a world that is developing, <laughs> oh, um, <man. laughs> you know, we, we need to just be as, as mentally, uh, positive as possible to, to try to neutralize just everything. Right. Um, that's a great point. And uh, yeah. Um, so I think that's something that I've kind of learned. I'm not, I'm not an angry person or whatever, but like being conscious about your mental state as you approach a problem, um, pays dividends in many other uh, more physical aspects of that project, I think. Is there anything that you do to help yourself get into that state? 
because to me, I think that's where like you, you have to develop a, a, mem- a muscle memory around that over time or you need a sticky yeah. note on the monitor, <laughs> something to <laughs> right, be like right. smile, you know, I, yeah, whatever it is. And, and so I'm yeah. wondering like if you do anything to help yourself get in that state so that you can set yourself up for success uh-huh. on a project like that. God, I don't, I don't, I don't think just so. Lucky. I think I just, just, you just, just talk to yourself, yeah. you know, just tell you. Yeah. Like, I think that's a good point. Like what yeah, your self-talk sounds really positive yeah. in that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, just be nice to yourself. Like one of my biggest pet peeves is people saying that they're stupid or that they screwed something up. And it's like, that is life. Mm-hmm. Like the only reason you know how to do things is because you've done them wrong before. Yeah. Right. And it's okay. Whether you're an adult or you're a five-year-old, like I've had the worst days of my life. I still like, I knew how to put on pants. I can feed myself. I know how to ride a bus. <laughs> I can get to a different city. I like, am you know, su- supporting my family. Like it's so easy to get down on yeah. yourself, but it's like, you've come a long way. Like, you know, especially having a kid, you're like, wow, I really started from nothing. Didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Don't don't discount your past successes that led up to your current failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm sure, like you said, you're building this for your mom. Like it's yeah. the 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 things that you talked about are going to come through in a very yeah. different way than if you didn't do that for her. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is going to make your future um, life better too. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So. These are just, yeah, just uh, just lead with love. That's awesome. That's oh. a great, great tip. I think uh, that is a little bit harder to do for most people right now because of the isolation that many people are feeling or the fear or and, and to watch kind of the news and things devolve around them. It's, it's probably harder and harder to have that attitude. So, yeah. But it's also more important to like, you know, every when I get to have like a meeting with a team that I haven't seen in a long time, like you certainly, if nothing else, this has shown like how wonderful humanity is and, and, you know, nothing like losing Mm. all of your friends to realize like how good you had it and and valuable they are and they're not gone. And, you know, we will regain some sort of normalcy, but, um, yeah, just be kind. <laughs> well, I know you're you're a busy guy, but is there anybody that you're listening to or reading that is influencing you or inspiring you? Um honestly, I'm not I'm not much of a reader. Um I I uh yeah, it's kind of a funny thing, but um I am I am constantly inspired by um other makers um other people that are pushing like i love have you seen um like colin furs on youtube no super kooky brit that um he builds all these like wacky contraptions that are you know like very well thought through vehicles um or what flamethrowers or whatever but um i really do like um watching other people make things because it it makes um it makes what i attempt seem more feasible even if i have no right to feel more confident i do yeah um totally it's that kind of demonstration of and and i i don't know what the actual science on you know the transfer of knowledge but 
someone showing you how to do something, whether it's digital or recorded or in person, um, empowers you to take on more yourself. Totally. Like, like right now, like I'm building a whole house and I have, you know, I know construction and wiring and whatever, but like plumbing, how does that work? You know, how it packs, what's that? Right. It just, um, we're, we are so blessed to have like such a, uh, a compendium of digital resources at our fingers that um, total strangers can really uh, encourage you to like take on more totally, and learn. Totally. Yeah. If they can do it, you can, because, and they'll, and they're, they're usually the one, the first ones to say that. I mean, yeah, I think I was going to ask you like how, how many times during this project have you looked up how to do something on YouTube? I can't even count exactly. every day. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. going through a similar process myself. I'm not adding a whole new structure, but I've been remodeling. And and it's just incredible the amount of resources out there to help you do the thing that you don't know how to do. And it's like, it is almost the matrix, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. of course, there's going to be success and failure and trial and error and all those things when you do it yourself the first time. But, oh, my God. To just have that resource available is just, it's immeasurable. Yeah. Yeah. So in short, I think the, 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 the internet, the internet. <laughs> um, is, yeah. Like how cool is that? That's amazing. But yeah, it's totally true. I mean, it, it, um, especially in this isolated, you know, my dad knows a lot and he's certainly helped, but like we, you know, we're figuring it out and, and now you have the tools. Um, I, if, if I were to read, it would just be reference materials anyway. Right, you right. know, it'd be like <laughs> it would just be. I want to see so you know have something show me show me how to do something. Um, and that goes for digital processes or or whatever. Yeah. I I um we are we're smart cookies and and we can figure it out if someone shows us and 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 not being afraid to fail because you know it just gives you another opportunity to not fail (laughs) i have to go install a couple of windows at some point this week myself so i've i've already been doing that that research because the windows i took out are smaller than the new ones i'm putting in so there's all kinds of waterproofing issues and uh yeah there's so many things that you have to take into account that if you've never done it before like you just got to have a place to start so yeah direction of overlaps is important totally (laughs) yes (laughs) Okay, first understand gravity. Second, understand yeah, yeah, water yeah. does not just go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say it doesn't just come from the up to the down position. It goes sideways, and oh yep. man, so many, yeah, so many things. But I, you know, I, I just a quick aside. Like I want to tack on to to that concept. You know, it, it um, having a kid is really interesting because I, I mean, maybe it's a a, a side effect of whatever privilege I've had, but like, I'm not, I'm not afraid, afraid to screw up if it was, if it was honestly, if it was honestly done, you know, if it was in the intent of, of doing something, um, right. And if, if you learn from it and there's no such thing as a a failure, you know, if, if you've learned from it and, and teaching my daughter who initially, I don't know where it came from, but initially it seems like we're programmed to be horrified of failure mm-hmm. and like frustrated by a lack of success. And I think that takes a lot of discipline to kind of like realize that it's part of the, it's just part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that a lot of people get trained towards is perfection, right? Instead of, yeah. instead of experimentation and fail fast and learn from it. Um, yep. Or even putting your mistakes on display, 
right? Uh, yeah. I think that a lot of people try to hide that kind of thing. And, and I, you know, it's funny again, like bringing it back to YouTube. I think that that's where it's, it's okay to show your humanity and the real life that comes along with that. We're all just faking it till we make it. And we're trying to figure out how to do <laughs> right. stuff. And that, I, what I love about YouTube is that it's not a hundred, it's not all perfect. It's not all perfectly oh, produced yeah. and not at all. Yeah. 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 It's honest. Yep. It's it is yeah, authentic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they'll tell you like, this might not be the right way to do it, but this is what I'm going to do. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, you know, thanks for being honest. And about it gives it. you like, some confidence to be like, well, I, I can yeah. try that. And if I screw up, what's the, what's the harm? Yeah. yeah. Then I'm not alone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, last question is, is there anywhere online or in real, not really real life, but uh, COVID real life where people can find out more about you or follow along with what you're doing? You mentioned this, uh, this forum, but is there anywhere else? Yeah. So if you go to danestokes.com, um, all of my, uh, some outdated ZGF stuff is there and, and all of my like kind of personal and ac- favorite academic projects and my car and my motorcycle and everything, everything I've done is at danestokes.com. That's awesome. So, um, head on over there and, and, um, and there's a contact thing too. So, you know, if you want to, want to chat, hit me up, no problem. Um, I'm always, always interested in meeting new people, especially now that my opportunities of meeting people are, are quite limited now. <laughs> well, it's so. amazing how like available people are now too, right? So, yeah, it's it's weird, isn't yes. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's just different. Yeah. So, virtual coffee with Dane at danestokes.com. Yeah, there you go. For sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I mean, you're yeah. you're are a very generous person, and it's it, you can see it and you can hear it in your voice, uh, and so I appreciate that about you. And hopefully, we can do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. It was really great talking to you. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been too long. So, so certainly, uh, certainly hit me up again. I'd be happy to chat. Once again, a big thank you to the sponsor of this episode, Layer App, the flexible database for architects that makes it easy to view photos, files, and project data right in Revit. Remember, start your free 14-day trial at layer.team slash trxl. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.